Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Jersey, so I don't want to take too much time. We're loving what God is doing in the life of the church. Thank you so much for jumping in, taking a hold of Jesus. We want to go and grow in Jesus every time. And God continues to surprise us, overwhelm us, do amazing things in our midst aside from us. And I'm hearing testimonies of God's goodness and grace popping all over the place. I'm so grateful to Him. But I honestly believe God will do much things and amazing things with communities who will pursue Him in His Word. We can pursue God many ways, but I honestly believe when we pursue God in His Word, and we are coming in the series of Galatians, Jesus plus nothing, I trust you are throwing yourself into feasting and feeding on the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to come alive in your hearts. I don't know about you, but every time I read this Galatians and I see something more, things are exploding. It's like, bah! feels like when, I don't know if you were a kid, when you were a kid, you used to get those popping candy things. I'm showing my age here a little bit. But um, you put in your mouth, it's like you wait for poof, and it's poof. It feels like God's doing that in my heart with the book of Galatians. And I trust He's doing the same thing for you. And we're starting out, and, and central to this amazing book, and I want to jump into a few things. If you were at Tableview last Sunday morning, or Milton this morning, and we, we obviously didn't preach last Sunday nights as God was doing different things in the evening service, but we want to jump through Galatians 2. But central to the whole book is this concept called justification. Can you say that with me? Justification. It's a big word. It's not a word you need to avoid. It's not one of those scary words. It's something that we need to allow God to reveal to us and show us because it's beautiful. And it's central to everything that Paul is fighting for in this amazing book of Galatians. And I want to give you a, a definition just to help us. It's God, God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. There's a whole bunch of good stuff in there. Here's number one. It's God's act. It's what He does because He is good, He is faithful, He is true, He is kind, He is glorious. It's always God's act. It's not us. And Gabe shared a few weeks ago, we used to sing in the 90s that great song, I found Jesus, and it was all funky, and the band would get all funky, and the bassist would start doing um, Pele on the back of the stage, and it's a whole bunch of good stuff. But it's not good theology. Good theology is Jesus found me. Some of us, we're at the top of the mountain, some of us were in the bottom of the valley, but it's always His act, and we get no glory. We get none, ever. And it carries on, and he says this, he says, removing the, sin, the, the penalty of sin while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous. You know who declares? Kings declare. You don't go to the corner and no one knows you and just start shouting stuff and people just, yes, we're going to do that. No, when kings speak and kings declare something, it happens. And what happens in this situation, the justification, is a king declares a sinner righteous. Sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, eh? Sounds like a little bit of like, a sinner righteous? Yeah, yeah, because I have a leaning and a tendency towards sin, but God comes and puts over my life a new story called Son of the Living God. And even though I trip and fall sometimes, like a baby on a journey of growing to walk, and we learn sometimes we trip, sometimes we're clumsy, sometimes we mess up. He says, actually, even though I'm going to declare you righteous. Started with him. And the last... The thing that I wanted to highlight is this amazing thing. It's through Christ's atoning sacrifice. It's, it's huge. 
righteous being the condition that we are in right relationship with God. It's really, really important. It's really important. And um, here's the thing, and I keep saying it and I'll keep saying it, is the Bible calls us believers. We are believers. The implication of that is what we believe is very important. You know that? I think so many Christians, well, I'm traditionally Christian. I kind of went to this church or this thing with my parents. Well, my family's Christian. I can tick the box on a census. I can do it. Actually, that counts for nothing. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And what I believe about Him and about God is so important in my ability to walk that out. And what we believe about justification is important. Here's what Tim Keller defines it as. He says, to be justified is to be seen as clean and beautiful in God's sight. See, two weeks ago Sunday mo- on the Sunday morning service, about 20 people gave their lives to Jesus. Some of them, maybe two days before, had done dastardly things. Some of them had done dodgy business deals. Maybe they'd been aggressive with their wife. Maybe she had been aggressive with them. I don't know. But what happens in a moment of encounter with Jesus is actually it doesn't matter. The grace of God floods in, washes clean every guilt and stain, that which was dirty and stained, and they get to start a walk with Jesus. See, central to what Paul is fighting for in the book of Galatians, and he's coming up against, is, is this concept that there are these false teachers, and they're saying this, actually, Jesus is not enough. See, the problem isn't what we add to the gospel. That's not the problem. The problem is that we add anything to the gospel. Anything. That we would or should add anything to what Jesus has done means we are trying to take some glory and we worship a God who is jealous for His glory. And justification revolves around this fact that I get no glory in my story of salvation. I don't get any. Maybe I've done a thousand good deeds. Maybe I've given every cent I could. Maybe I've been polite. I've walked every granny across the road I've ever seen walking next to a road, even if they didn't want to cross the road. It doesn't matter. I get no glory. It all goes to Him. And it always will all go to Him. But Paul is fighting for, it's not just the what and it's not just the how, it's it's the order at which we perceive the gospel to kick in. Paul's saying, in his version of the gospel, he's saying, Jesus comes, and first of all, we believe. Then we are saved, and then as sons, in a changed dispensation as sons, as as our identity is changed, we begin to work out a journey where I live to please Him, as Galatians speaks about. I'm living to please Him. I'm not living to fulfill the rules and the recommendations and the requirements that He will. I'm living to please God. These false teachers are saying, well, actually, first one, you're on the mark, Paul. Believe, yes. Second one, you've got to start walking that journey. You've got to fight. You've got to work hard. You've got to pull off some good things. And then the end of the journey, at the fulfillment of that, the fullness of your justification is truly happening because you've proved yourself and you've proved your salvation. I, I don't know about you, but Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, important language, In Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. He's not putting a time lapse there. He's not putting terms and conditions. He's not putting, could you do all these good things? Could you jump through all these Christian hoops? Could you jump through all these things that the church say you must jump through? He's just saying, the minute that happens, the old is gone. The new has come. That is the gospel. I sat with a man this week who gave his life recently, and it's like a different guy. 
like a different guy. I love that. I love that. I loved going home with, with Candace when I was dating her and we'd go home to her family in Joburg and she gave her life in Jesus. She came out of the, the drugs. She'd come out of clubs. She'd jump out of insecurity and dancing as a way of security and, and she encountered Jesus and I would go with her up to her family in Joburg and every time they'd say, she's very different. They'd like, and I'd go, yeah, yeah. And they kind of thought it was my fault. I'm like, I don't get any glory for that. The father revealed himself to her. The Father has brought identity into it. The Father is settling insecurities. The Father is working. And every time we'd go back every three, four months to Joburg, they were just blown away. Wow. To the point that her whole family are walking with the Lord. To the point that, 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 that she has been a sign and a wonder to such a degree that her brothers have gone and pursued Jesus. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing. But I want to say that the challenges and what we present is we live in an age of tolerance. Where tolerance means to love someone is to be tolerant. To disagree with someone is to hate them. You've seen it on Facebook. All of you, if you're on Facebook, if there's a disagreement, it's like, why do you hate me so much? No, I don't. You can be as polite as you want. You can be as compelling as you want. You can bring the greatest argument in the world. But the minute these days you disagree with anyone, you are being intolerant, which means you don't love them, which means you hate them kind of dramatic. And all of a sudden, to disagree with someone, you become a bigot. That's the world we live in. Welcome to 2017. And the challenge with this is Paul is saying, actually, this Jesus plus a little bit, even Jesus plus 0.0001% is not the same religion. He's not saying it's a different denomination. He's not saying there's width and space within the church to have different positions on, well, you can add a little bit and you guys don't. He's saying it's a different religion. He's fighting for a very primary, very important thing. The book of Galatians is the cornerstone of much of how we have built and how we are building our faith as Martin Luther got into the word of God and Galatians and Galatians, Romans gave him courage and faith to fight for freedom for the church. And we have the privilege to walk in all of these things. And there are these two perversions. I just want to remind us, because we didn't get a chance with this community last week. There are these two perversions in the church. And, and Tertullian, one of the church, ancient church fathers, says this, Just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two errors. Two perversions. The first one looks like this. It says, you know what? That just is too easy, Mark. Some of you are here like, that sounds dodgy. Bring me the church where actually I've got to do a whole bunch of stuff and maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get to heaven. No, that's every other religion in the world. There's a million of them. You don't have to go looking. They're all over the place. It's what makes the gospel so different. And the perversion is one mock that's too easy. So what I'm just going to add a little bit, and these teachers, they will, if we just add the Mosaic law, if we just add circumcision to the story, well, that's fine the first perversion. And basically what we're saying is Jesus plus something, something we do, or even something we don't do. Either way. See, it doesn't matter what we try to help Jesus out with. You can't take something perfect and add to it and expect more perfect. It doesn't get more perfect. The second perversion is, well, the second one is, well, that's brilliant. I've got my fire insurance from hell. I'm going to get into heaven one day, so I'm going to live like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to sow my wild oats, go wild, spend every sense on selfish living and every energy I have on myself, put myself as the center of my world and carry on. No, 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 no. You've fallen off the bus as well. 
just on the other side. And um, central to the gospel is that we're living to please the Father. That's what I get pulled into. I, I live to please the Father. It's an incredible, incredible story. I want to say this. Love Romans 1 verse 16 says, The gospel is the power of God. The gospel. So the gospel is often used in Christian terms as, I needed the gospel to get me saved. Now I walk out a Christian life. No, the gospel is every day the power of God for my ability to walk in this life. Every day, every moment, every encounter, every minute. And, um, you know, the challenge of much of what's going on in this story in the Galatians is these encounter of people who've got these laws, and, and the term we would use is legalistic. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about laws. They love the law. They love putting on the laws under people. The challenge around this story is God didn't come for us to have a terms kind of relationship. So if you just do this, he said, actually, I love you so we can walk in relationship. And he pulls us into the story. The problem with a legalistic reality is we find God useful. But when we come into a relationship with God in the gospel, God becomes beautiful to us. I I love that. It's not mine. It's Tim Keller's line. That religious people find God useful. It's like when I'm in trouble, I run to God. Just got to... Think about our lives sometimes. If we run back to God, the pinball machine of heaven, we're going to do all that. And God becomes useful. It says, actually, no, the gospel pulls us a story where God is beautiful. And we are captivated by Him. The journey is not to know much about Him. I had an encounter with someone recently, and for 15, well, not, maybe not exaggerate, 10 minutes, just went on and quoted scripture after scripture after scripture, and 15 times said to me, I'm just going, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, I couldn't say a word. She quoted a million things to me, I'm going, man, there's no reality here. You're just throwing laws and a whole bunch of stuff at me, and actually, I've got no chance in this thing. You're finding God, I love God. I want to pursue Him. I want to pursue his laws and his rituals and things and everything. I didn't present that story very well. I just don't want to give too much detail away. Sorry. I'm going to carry on. But I want to throw us. I've got sidetracked there. That's called a rabbit warren. It's what happens to ADHD people. Woo, bunny, I'm back. So we're back. We're back. Let us go to Galatians 1. And I, I want to take us a little bit. I love the word of God. And I think sometimes when we just preach thematically, we pull subjects out that are just burning. Sometimes it can be a little piecemeal. I want us to work a little bit line by line. And then I want us to jump to the climax of this chapter. Is that all right? So I'm not going to read it all up front because it'll take a bit long. I want to spend a few minutes just going through some of the one-liners here and some of the truths in here. Because part of it is not just looking for the big truth. I think we've also got to look at the people and how they play their part and how they lead and how they engage. It starts out in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So it goes on this road trip. It's been 14 years since he preached around this area. He's held himself back. He would have heard some rumors of false teachers speaking. He would have heard some stories of this, and he'd settled himself. He would have held on to to the gospel. He would have held on to God, but he decides to go on a road trip. He's not summoned by the Manos in Jerusalem. He feels compelled to go and walk out his gospel revelation, and we'll find it in verse 2 why, but he takes two dudes. The first one, Barnabas. So I think it's important we've got to know why. These are not just Nothing in the Bible is wasted. 
There's nothing. Barnabas is a Jew. He's a witness to much of Paul's ministry in the gospel. And he's a partner in the gospel. And he would have got there in the Jerusalem leaders. Um, they would have gone, yeah, this guy's got some of our ways. He wouldn't have offended their ways. But Paul knew what he was fighting for. He's fighting for those, their freedom, who didn't have their ways, but they had the gospel. Does that make sense? So he takes Titus along. And this isn't my line, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Why Titus? He is a full-on bacon-eating Greek, uncircumcised, pork-sandwich-loving, non-Jew-lover of Jesus. Did you get that? He is full-on bacon-eating Greek. It's like a whole bad mix there. He shouldn't be eating his bacon. He's uncircumcised. We're not going to talk about that much. He's pork-sandwich-loving, non-Jew-lover of Jesus. He's got the whole wrong package. Everything about him, all his ways, his, his mannerisms, his cultural heritage would all have offended everyone in Jerusalem. Paul says, I want you to come with me. Because I want, in all of that, you've got none of the cultural norms of the church and the believers. You've got none of their Jewish background. You've got none of their accreditation in that story. But I want you to come because I want them to see the gospel that's alive in you. We struggle with this, eh, guys? We, we, we struggle with this. We need Titus's in the church. We need them. When the church stops having the cries of the newborn believers in our midst, we get easily conceited. We get easily think we're really on a great track and the world out there have missed it. And part of God having new believers in our midst is he's continually working in our hearts, continually settling, continually making sure that we are on a journey to be more like Jesus with the gospel coming alive. So he carries on in verse 2. He says, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. I've got to be honest, as a pastor, when I sit down with someone and they say these words, I've had a revelation. I get nervous. <laughs> because it generally follows with this line, God has said, I'm even more nervous. And then comes some big thing. Because there's not a whole lot I can say and I can't even bring the word because they've had a revelation. And so often in the church, it means that actually I can't work it out with my brothers. But this guy says, I've got a revelation. I've seen Jesus. I'm not backing down. I'm not watering down the revelation. But I want to work it out. I want to make sure this thing, he says, I don't want to run my race in vain. Imagine all the dudes around the comrades today. They, they get up, whoo, 90 Ks. They get up to the hill. They get to Marisburg, and there's a big sign. Sorry, postpone till next week. Come back again. They ran that race in vain. Saying, I don't want to run my race in vain. So what he says is, actually, even though I've had a revelation, I want to come and submit it in humility to the brothers. I want to walk it with my brothers. I want to take it to them. I want to come with them. And he says, how does he do it? Because I think that's just as important. He says, meeting privately. See, we love and we live in a world where self-justification is everyone's greatest ability. Facebook is not about the truth. Facebook is about self-justifying. Let's be honest. And so we have, and I'm embarrassed often by church leaders who decide to fight each other in public about stuff they need to sit at a table and do face to face. Like the Bible says, meeting privately. I'm so grateful that I've had leaders in my life that when a man came to town in 2008, began to preach something of a different gospel in Durban, 
I sat next to a leader for three days as some of this gospel was preached, and I watched him just suck it up, bare under it. It was hard. Then he went to that man and said, you know what, I love you, but this is not right. I've paid for three days. Four of us are going away, and we're going to talk about it. No one knew. No one still knows that they fought for this brother by paying for the trip, by taking him away and and tearing together as they plowed into the word of God together to make sure that the gospel, the central reality that brings people life, is fought for. That's the leaders I've had. I'm so grateful for that. Which means we've got to learn from Paul who says, actually, meet privately, engage, especially about the important stuff. People are spending hours and hours on Facebook and in social media fighting for things that are secondary. And then he carries on, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And I said it earlier, but we all need a Titus in our story. I, I love, do you know Emmanuel? Many of you might not have met, but we've got one of the leaders in this church, his name's Emmanuel. He's like a Lonnie in the Young President's Organization or something. But under those long sleeves and collars are some of the biggest tattoos that I know. And I keep trying to get him to wear a slightly lower shirt, maybe a t-shirt, just to rattle a few cages. I'm just being honest. If we want to engage this culture, this culture loves tattoos. Do I love tattoos? I don't have one. I find it very permanent, and most people, after a while, the dolphins become whales, and that's a problem. <laughs> so I am not getting a tattoo just yet, but actually, I also, I also other things, like smoking. I don't like smoking. I think it kills people. I don't think it's good for you. But here's the reality. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin. The Bible doesn't say take your brother. So actually, we have to get over some of our prejudices, make sure that our hearts are open wide, our hopes are open wide, and we can engage our world. And I'm telling you who keeps us fresh on that story is Titus. Do you have a Titus in your life? Are you walking with him? Is he challenging your comfort zones? Is that all right? Some of you are like, gosh, this hug's lost it. <laughs> Verse 4, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's what he's saying. He says, the freedom that you walk in, there will be religious believers. This is not people outside the church. This is people with inside the church. The church. There will be religious who will spy on your faith Here's the thing, that on your freedom, they hate your freedom. They hate your freedom. It's a hard thing. But the legalists hated the freedom of the Christians. They preferred a more kind of fearful kind of religion. Oh, we've got to stay like the Old Testament. We've got to fear the Lord and fear the Lord. Yes, the Bible does say the beginning of wisdom Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It does say that. But do you know what the greatest revelation in the New Testament is of God? Father. Father. Not an unapproachable, unapproachable, judgmental, ready to hit you at any second father. A father who in Luke 15 runs to his prodigal son. It's the greatest revelation in the New Testament. And when we live with an all-day revelation and pull it into a Jesus era, we get confused. And there's many in the church who love this more kind of fear-filled, we've got to make sure we shake out the unholiness in you before Jesus gets to you. No, that's why Jesus got to me. He is more committed to that than any other believer or any church. I promise you. And he carries on, he says, we did not give in to them for a moment. He says, we didn't waste time with them, but you know what I love about that statement? We. He's gone on a journey. 
a long journey, inconvenienced his mission, gone out of his way to seek out the brothers, says they gave him the right hand of partnership, and he calls them and he says, we didn't give in to them for a second. It's gone from an I-Paul mission, I-revelation of God, to an outworking with his brothers in humility, to a reality that we did not give in for a moment. Does that give you courage to do life together? Stop walking and fighting for your island. Stop fighting for your independence. Now you're called to walk in community with brothers and sisters around you, on your left and your right and front behind. Who in humility, when we walk together, there is a richness, there is a power, there is a freedom. He's fighting for these things. Central to this reality, I just want to explain something of the law. Because at the center of this conversation, we're going to continue to unfold it, so I won't take hours here. But he's fighting for this reality that actually, what is this thing that they are calling people to do? There's this picture, and he calls it, he says, actually, the law has, what is the law? What is the role of the law in our lives? It's got every right to reveal to me the commands of God that God would lay upon me. It's got every right. The law comes like a light. If we had a light above, it would shine a map here, and it shows where I'm out of sync and out of thing. I know that. When we come to the Lord, it's that little SMS you get. Maybe some of you are so holy, you've never got it. But I got one the other day. Beep, beep. ID number 781. Yeah, that one. It says, there is an unpaid fine. The law is everywhere. But let me tell you the picture that a guy named Matt Chandler uses for the law. My wife recently went for an MRI scan for her back. Big noisy machine, lots of bucks. And it can see everywhere. It can see through marrow. It can see, it can see right in there. And it can do everything except one thing. It can show you every bit of brokenness. It can show you every bit of pain. And the law can do that in our lives. It shows us every bit of brokenness in everywhere we fell. But you know what the law cannot do? It cannot heal you. It cannot heal you. That MRI machine, I can leave Candace in there for days. She wouldn't like it. But it will do nothing in terms of healing her. All it will continue to do is show us what the problem is. There is one healer. His name is Jesus. There is one cure for my brokenness and my sin. His name is Jesus. It's not my ability to follow any kind of law. It's my ability to run to him and throw myself before his grace and say, Jesus, I receive your grace. Does it sound too good to be true? Possibly. But that is the gospel. And I want to shoot ahead a little bit to verse 19. And there's a whole bunch in there. We're not shooting here to leave it out. I'm trying to not give you every answer. I'm trying to give you an appetite to get into the Word yourselves. But this, to me, is the climax of this amazing chapter. And if you can see it on the screen or you have your Bibles, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith, which means sometimes we're going to reach up into heaven, we're going to take a hold of heaven and allow heaven to come into our lives. We are faith people. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's right there. 
If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. My ability to fulfill the law in any way gives me security and surety of my salvation and my justification. It means I'm making a mockery of the cross. That's what he's saying. And I want to give you three little points around this thing. See, it's an all-in reality, Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus Christ who paid the way, he made the way, and he cleared the way for our ability to walk towards the Father and grow in our relationship with him. He makes this, there were three implications I want to give. These may be three little quick takeaway points for you from the scripture. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I think Paul is talking about his own conversion. The man he was was now dead. And we see this in Romans 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer should be slaves of sin. First thing, is that we must die. In this transaction, there's something that happens, it's called the old man dying. That guy's dead. That's salvation. That with him, I'm crucified. But then the next part is so beautiful. It says this, it is no longer I who live. When I rise, I don't rise in my power. I rise in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And sometimes, you know, it's hard when we're close to someone and we watch this transaction. It's hard to understand. Don't judge the individual. Keep your eyes on God. Keep calling out the God factor in every person, especially in the early days of someone's salvation. They will trip. They will fall. You get over it and allow the grace of God to bring the healing, the wholeness, and the ability to walk. He's challenging the church. He's saying, secondly, Christians must surrender all. It's no longer I who live. The greatest moment of sonship is not our ability to do stuff for God. The greatest moment of sonship is like Jesus prayed at the, before the cross, not my will, but your will be done on that cross. That is the pinnacle of sonship. That is the moment where I am a son revealed. It's where my will is surrendered to his glory and his goodness in trust of him. It's when we trust him. So many people have got this thing wrong. And I, I don't know about you, but I used to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And to me, hallowed be my name, was your name was like, Woo, go God, hello your name. On, I, I don't know, maybe this is me. Anyone else? None of you, eh? Okay. But, but that word hello is the same word used when Moses came and God says, Speak to the rock and call water out the rock. Hopefully you know that, so now if you don't, go search it out. But God speaks to Moses, says, I want you in faith to speak to the rock, call water out of the rock in the desert. It's quite a radical scenario. Moses is a little miffed. He takes in little on his own hands. He gets a little angry, and he claps the rock twice. God, God. And the Bible says this, says, you will not walk into your inheritance because you did not hallow my name. You didn't trust me. Our Father, who art in heaven, I trust you, is the moment sonship or daughtership takes traction in our lives. And we surrender. And last, he makes this incredible statement and he explains it. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Committed life to Christ doesn't come by accident. It's a life that is purposefully lived and hung on this truth that I'm justified by faith alone. Any other hook that we hang our lives on is not the gospel. It's not the same. There's got to come a point where we surrender all, 
and trust because we put our faith completely in Him alone and His ability to save, His ability to clean. Our desire for this series is that we would go towards a journey. And I love the statement Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and it's at the end of his story. He's run his race. He wasn't running and making sure he was running in vain anymore. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. What's the good fight? I see people fighting fights all over the place. I'm not sure they're good fights. I'm not sure they're worth the hours and hours. The emotional energy, the financial energy for legal court cases. And he says, I fought the good fight. What's the good fight? The fight for the purity of the gospel. The essence of the gospel. He says, I have finished the race. Let's finish the race. Let's continue to persevere. Let's continue to fight for and to press into everything that he has for us. He says, I have kept the faith. I want to just pray for us, if that's all right, Gabs. I, I believe in every room and every time we preach, there are two kinds of people. The first are those who don't have a revelation of the completeness and perfection of Jesus' love. So we live a little bit like I'm going to work really hard to make sure he loves me. See, because my dad at home, he loved me when I cleaned the dishes, but he didn't so love me when I didn't leave my room tidy. That's when he hit me. So I got conditioned to believing that a father loves when I do. And the gospel's got to come over that conditioning, recondition us, allow our thoughts to be renewed about who God is. And in that reconditioning, he reveals this thing. Actually, it's not about earning anything. It's not saying there's no effort in the story. No, Dallas Willard helped us with that. He said, it's, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn God's love. And maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I still feel like I've got to earn his favor. I've got to earn his affection. God wants to settle it. And the second one is, is what some would call functional atheists. That we've got our fire insurance from, heaven, from hell. So we'll get into heaven one day. But we live like there's no God now. There's no relationship. There's no calling to more. There's no longing to walk in relationship with the Father. God's saying, actually, I want to settle that too. He wants us to walk. As sons and daughters. Even when we mess up, I, I want my sons. I, I'm on a journey, guys. I'm on a journey. I, I, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like God. I want to be slow to anger. I want to be abounding in love. I don't always feel like I'm abounding in love, if I'm being honest. But I want to be. Can we close our eyes for a second? I'm not sure which one you sit with, but I think every one of us are one of those. On the one side, we're working really hard to make sure God loves us. And he says, stop it, I really love you. On the other side, we've settled that we've done enough to get into heaven and that's okay. And God's saying, I, I really want to walk closely with you. I want to reveal my character, my nature, my love to you. Pray, Spirit of God, in this place. As your word is bringing life and freedom, would you be re-engineering? Would you be setting free? Would you be bringing life to so many? Thank you for the glorious essence of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing 
is not just enough. It's perfect. Perfect. Settle that in us, I pray, God. We give you all the glory, King.